Welcome to episode 264 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jill. And also with us just off camera, piped in directly from our 60,000 square foot virtual stadium, aka the Jitsi Room, is our glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be talking to Alish Paul Gonzalez from KDE. Then we're going to chat about some cool robotics you can get your hands on from Red Hat. Plus we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. So this week in our community feedback, we received an email from Michael. Now, it's not our Michael. It's another Michael, I think. Katie wasn't mentioned at the very beginning, so I assume it's not you. But we'll see. Let's read the email and see who if this is really you posing as a <laughs> listener or something. We know you do that from time to time. All the uh, time. They, they go on to say, I've corresponded in the past and really love the show deal in produces. You guys truly make my week wonderful. I personally have wanted to see Linux on the desktop for a while and feel that 2022 may actually be the year. I mean, every year is the year of Linux. It just keeps getting yes. better every year. So it works. Just one small <laughs> criticism. I love Twill podcasts and would like to see the four pane setup, like when you have a guest all the time. You could then use the fourth video source to show sponsors or whatnot, like Dio and Bitwarden, like on other casts, mm. and a moving graphic like the background on Twill under Michael's camera. Just a suggestion. It's an interesting... Michael, engage. And make it so. And now it is there. So there you go. <laughs> we now have a, <laughs> a fourth <laughs> element that will show you some... St at least for this episode, maybe going forward, we'll see, but... Nice suggestion. Thank you very much. Yeah. Man, it just takes somebody <laughs> writing in and we make these changes right on the spot like that. I did not have to prepare that at all. It was no, instant. of course not. It did not yeah. take me hours to set this up, but, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> they go on to say, Ryan, I currently run Vanilla Arch. Very nice. And I would love to see it install more like Manjaro. I actually agree with that, although Arch Purists will disagree with me. I would like to see a very easy installer for just standard Arch, although... They have made it simpler now than it was before, but yeah, it's still not like Calamari's. But my issue with either is that I want to have my own choice installed instead of having to go in and remove packages after the fact. My only real complaint with Manjaro. Also, please don't kill me, but I want to use System D boot instead of Grub. Specifically, setting up with System D, ButterFS, and Wayland, Pipewire as well, mostly full plasma desktop. This is all possible on Arch Vanilla, but harder. For me, even though I'm a longtime Linux user and programmer, system admin servers, anyhow, apologies for the long post. Okay, so they did end up man mentioning Plasma, so this could very well be Michael. And they, they also talked about advertising. So now I'm quite certain this is actually you, Michael. You love advertising and talking <laughs> about it. You love Plasma. So why did I mean, you send I, us this email? There is a lot of like, you know, some evidence here and there that I can see why you're, you're assuming that it's me, but it's not actually me in this case. I don't know, Joe. What do you think? Hmm, I'm suspect. I think it's Michael AI. It could uh, be. It could be. Well, I'm. This is some interesting suggestions here. One, I like the idea of having an installer in Majora where you can basically select and deselect a bunch of things right there at the beginning and fully customize that experience. I think that would be pretty cool for yeah. them. As far as Arch goes, I think you're going to have a long battle for Arch mm. people to ever give up the difficult installer. I think they just. Kind of like that um, 
not my thing, but they like it. But I install Arch all the time and, you know, you get used to the installation path. And I think it's kind of a way to keep brand new people from accidentally starting with Arch because it probably wouldn't be a great experience depending on the new user. If they wanted to learn that type of stuff, fine. But for most new users, uh, it's a barrier that probably keeps a lot of people out that shouldn't be using Arch to begin this with. This also depends on like new user versus like the people who talk about beginners and new users, like they're kind of the same thing, but they're not. So sometimes new users yeah. are also people who want to dig into that stuff mm -hmm. and that's fine. But it's more like, you know, let, let's not push the beginners to that realm of computing. <laughs> right. Because, you know, just yet. But also, in, they were talking about specifically, the, the, the not me, Michael, talking specifically about uh, having something with setting up SystemD, ButterFS, Wayland, and Pipewire, and with having a full Plasma desktop. You can do that, and it's a distribution called Fedora. You can get all of that no, stuff. No, we're talking about Arch, <laughs> Michael. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, Arch. I mean, sure. We're but throwing also, your advertising in there. I'm... I mean, Fedora is a good choice for all of those things, honestly, although not all the ButterFS stuff is implemented yet, but it's a, it's a good starting point for that. I think the best ButterFS implementation right now is on my hat, OpenSUSE, uh, if you want to really sense. feel the power of ButterFS <laughs> right now. But I like the idea of all of these options that they want to put into Arch. And of course, you could do that with Arch right now. It's a little bit difficult, as they mentioned. The one thing that I wouldn't want, though, is SystemD boot. This is what Pop! OS uses. And again, for a new user experience, it just, in my, ex and I haven't used it recently, but my experience, it always wipes out any other operating systems that you have to install. So if you have a new user and they're trying to dual boot with Windows and Linux, if you put Pop! OS on it with SystemD, I I've had nothing but problems getting that to work properly. System Deboot just kind of overwrites all of mm -hmm. the boot settings. And so I'm not a huge fan of System Deboot, but I know that I may be in the minority to some may love it. It's just not my thing. What do you think, Jill? Oh, it's not my really my favorite either. I I don't I mean I I've used it on Pop and and I've had great success with it uh, dual booting with multiple distros and and Windows, but there there have been definitely issues. I still love Lilo. <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> Mike, Michael, you look disturbed by that. I, I was a, li <laughs> I was a little disturbed by that because Lilo has been not maintained at all for In a long years. Time, yeah, I think a decade, maybe. <laughs> yeah, a so, little bit. You still you use know. it, Jill? Lilo? But yeah. Oh yeah, on a lot of my old machines because you can dual boot, you know, a lot of the older distros very easily. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, you had the museum; yeah. it makes sense you'd have a museum bootloader. <laughs> yes. That's fine, you know. Yeah, I, I like Grub. Is there anything wrong with Grub? I, I no, the Grub works. No, Grub, Grub is nice. I, Grub is uh, is great. You know, there's things that, that you could do to improve how Grub looks if you want to, but overall, functionally, Grub does pretty much everything you want to do, and it also handles dual booting quite well with Windows yeah, and everything absolutely. else. So, I mean, I, I get why people would want to do System D boot solely because it is very fast, and uh, but Grub, Grub can do a lot of things. In some ways, it can do things a little bit better than SystemD, but that's going into like the rabbit hole of that sort of thing. So if mm -hmm. you want to learn more about those, mm -hmm. I'll have links to give you some more details if you'd like. Nice. So we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down on your nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join the community in a live discussion on a forum, then you can do that by going to dealinforum.com.
This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With that platform, you can build, deploy, scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point app platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository. Let it do all the heavy lifting for you. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, container images, all of it. And I've pretty much tested all of this stuff myself. Mm -hmm. You can do all of it there in DigitalOcean, and it does it so well. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take control of the infrastructure that you set up. As Destination Linux listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started, but they're going to give our community a $100 credit. So not only can you get started and check out all of these cool things, but you're going to get a $100 credit to go play with. And you can do a lot with that because they have droplets to start at just $5 a month. And you could do so many powerful things with the $5 a month droplet out there. So if you go to do.co slash DLN, open your browser, type do dot co slash dln and you can get started with a hundred dollar credit and we want to thank digital ocean for sponsoring this episode of destination linux this week we would like to welcome alish uh, paul gonzalez from kde to destination linux alish has been collaborating with kde since 2007 and is currently the president of the kde board of directors welcome to the show alish hi mm -hmm. thanks for having me some people not not know this i mean i'm very quiet about my fandom for kde i hardly ever talk about it <laughs> Almost never. <laughs> so I am very excited to talk about KDE with you on this episode. And, you know, just like our favorite comic book heroes, we need to know your origin story. So how did you get started with Linux? Um, I know that it's a very special story, but when I was a teenager, I realized soon that this is where I wanted to be working. I knew that I wanted to do something to do with computers, with programming, etc., and well, while I was starting to do my first programming stuff, I started using Linux. It wasn't easy at the beginning because at that time you had to connect through weird modems that didn't have drivers and all this kind of stuff. It certainly was more of a, a trip <laughs> to, to join Linux than it is nowadays. Not only because like there is so much more technology nowadays, like installers and stuff like that, but like all of the drivers that were just not available made the the thing a bit more uh, unpleasant, so to speak. But yeah, that's where I started. When I got my first uh, router, actually, that I could just use my Ethernet uh, drivers, that was when I finally was able to start using it. Nice. So why not Windows? Why not Mac? Why Linux at that time? Do you remember as a teenager? Well, I used uh, Windows at that point. I had been using it because, well, the person that introduced computers to my family, uh, he was familiar with Windows, and that's well, what we got uh, at the family. I f got fairly competent with Windows at that time. I even did some actual development there, both with C and the uh, WinAppies and Visual Studio 6. But I don't know, it felt like I want to be in Linux. It was more... I don't even know if it was entirely rational. It was where I wanted to be and or what I was meant to something be. Something drew you it's to not, it when, yeah. you, when you first booted it up. <laughs> Do you remember the first distro? Was it like Slackware or what was the distro back then? Do you recall? 
Well, there is a bit of an asterisk before all of that, uh, where I, uh, since I was using Windows, I started using something called Corel Linux. That happened. Oh yeah, Corel. Oh yeah, a lot, um, of, a lot of people starting on Corel. Okay. Yeah. Early two thousands, and I used that for a little bit, but I didn't stick to it, uh, and it wasn't until I think it was actually Suze eight or something, which was one of the first kernels that actually had all of the drivers that I needed, that uh, allowed me to stay put and and just actually start learning. So I feel a little clairvoyant today because I wore the SUSE hat and you mentioned starting out or one of the things that kept you in Linux is SUSE, which is pretty awesome. Now, taking your journey forward into KDE, you've been working with KDE since 2007. So you must really, really like it to be spending that much time with KDE. So Let's talk about what drew you to KDE initially and what has kept you engaged so long with this project. <laughs> Maybe you could say that I don't like it that much if I keep working on actually fixing it for so long. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, at the beginning, uh, I, I started developing free software through uh, my application called KeAlgebra, which is still in KDE somewhere in KDE IGU. And at that time, I started looking at uh, what was a good technology to base it on, and I chose C++ and Qt, especially because Qt had fairly good documentation. I myself was starting to, well, seriously program, so it was very handy to have a very good, very well-documented um, toolkit, and well, that's how I started focusing myself. And actually, like, at that point, I looked into C and and GTK and even well, Python and Mono that were uh, fairly famous at that time. And I, well, stuck with C++. It was very appealing, the fact that I could, for example, make it possible that the application run on other operating systems like Windows and be able to reach other people. It, it made me feel like I was not getting stuck with the Linux niche, which what is small now, it was small back then as well. And I am actually happy that I chose that way, right? Like I've been able to like take that application to like Android, which was not even something imaginable at that time. I started KeyAlgebra a bit before than 2007. 2007 is just when I put it into, into KDE, right? And yeah, I then started also doing some other stuff like KDevelop. I did Google Summer of Code a couple of years mm -hmm. and eventually... I uh, started doing Plasma when I joined Blue Systems. So you had a, a kind of a long history of trying different languages and things, but you said C++ was the one that really stuck with you. I find that interesting because you would think it, with Python around during that time and things, that's such an easier language most people say to learn and to comprehend. Why C++? That's not the easiest language in the world. What was it about that that stuck with you? I don't know. I mean, maybe there is a little bit the... I need to be able to learn such a language. Um, big part of, of my reason also to develop KeyAlgebra wasn't the application itself, but to delve into actually developing and creating languages like in a, in a calculator, like the expression that you create in there is uh, in practice a functional language, which actually at the moment you can like do uh, a lot of freaky things that we don't do because I mean, why would you do it in the calculator, right? But it was a <laughs> good, place for me to just uh, deep dive into into the topic and well languages have, have always been a topic that has interested me and C++ I think that it's obvious that has a lot of interesting things I mean 
it's it's complex it's probably even too complex i'm not gonna argue with that but it's very powerful and when you start when you want to like decide what you want to do with your life saying i'm gonna well base my knowledge on a on a powerful tool is also something very well empowering right Yeah. Actually, one of my big reasons to like start doing Linux was this: if I uh, develop stuff for Windows, I am making for Windows, right? But if I create it in a platform in some way that I feel like I have some level of ownership, if I uh, know that I will, well, not be tied to a certain organization. Well, this certainly was appealing to me back then, and. I haven't changed my mind. <laughs> so you say you say your journey is not very fascinating at the beginning, <laughs> but I think it is because what I've learned about you is you take the road less traveled by. You take the harder road instead of going the easier roads with Linux. It yeah. was because it was just something you wanted to learn. It wasn't necessarily the easiest thing with C Again, you wanted something that you could take anywhere, and it is far more complex language. And I think that's fascinating. Well, it's it's how we've ended up with a functional Linux anyway, right? Like yeah. all of the hackers that, who have like taken on problems that were probably already solved elsewhere and just made it available to humanity through, well, the license has been well the reason why we're here, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we're all excited. Plasma five point two four is coming this coming Tuesday, February eighth. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the. The wonderful features. Tell us about the overall goal or what the vision was for this release. Well, in in uh, Plasma for for the last time, we've been focusing on polishing a lot, uh, even more than like adding huge new features. For us, it also has been very important, like being able to reach the different devices, and we've been pushing our development a, a little bit from that angle, right? There's uh, a lot of work, for example, in terms of improving the integration of virtual keyboard versus I have a hardware keyboard, like, is it showing when it should be showing, isn't it? Also on Wayland, there has been a lot of, of development. Um, well, like I said, we've been using the different devices as ways to drive this, this uh, development. Or, I mean, I say we, I mean, I certainly have been doing it myself. Everyone has their own motivations, and that's that's perfectly fine as long as everything is is going in the same direction. Um, Wayland has been a big topic, both because Plasma Mobile is running Wayland, as well as we've been doing a lot of development in that area for for the Steam Deck. And I think that they're both uh, devices that are going to shine much more on on 5.24 than they would have on on previous versions. There's this uh, supporting more than five bit colors uh for oh, from your application nice. like yes this is something that it hardly should be on any headlines right but it's something that we need to support we have a lot of people creating media right so we need to be able to do that uh, configuration module for drawing tablets and also stability uh supporting nvidia nvidia has been a whole problem with wayland for the longest time we've put a lot of of effort into improving the situation some of the improvements were not part of Plasma necessarily, a lot of them were in Qt. Um, and NVIDIA finally supports GBM now instead yeah. of doing their own special <laughs> Yeah, there's that, right? Uh, something that is interesting is that as, as soon as they supported it, like we could do the switch, right? But not everything was working from from day one because they're using a slightly different stack than... Of course they are. <laughs> than, um, 
the rest of the drivers. Like all of the other drivers have been um, based on top of just Mesa, so they work uh, similarly in many ways. And there were things that we didn't assume that could be not in a certain way that that they were on on Nvidia, and this has been uh, well somewhere that many. KDE developers and Plasma developers have put a lot of effort uh, during the last cycle. There's been also work on uh, multi-screen that I think that is fairly, fairly important. Yeah, that's what I was looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What are your, some of your favorite features of 5.24? Well, uh, personally, I, I had I worked on the primary screen, so it's something that feels oh, very my. close to my heart. Also, the... The drawing tablet is something that uh, the configuration module is something I worked on. Well, I worked on all of the support for uh, these tablets uh, over the last couple of years. The KCM was the awesome. configuration module was um, well that last step. We still need to put more effort into this one, but it's also important for us because we were in. It's it's different when you say, all right, I know this feature is necessary. I'm going to sit down and implement it. What we tried to do here, and that's why we ended up doing the KCM. Uh, we had a meeting with uh, several artists who use uh, Linux and Plasma for, for their work. And we said, what kind of things can you do on X11 that you cannot do yet on Wayland? And mm -hmm. we started improving, well, implementing the most pressing ones. There's uh, some, um, well, fairly esoteric use cases that some of them have. And it's important that we get to support them because, well, obviously they are uh, very professional people doing, and they need to be able to comfortable with the with their setup, right? But the more specific a feature is, the uh, more work you need to put into sitting down and just doing it, right? Oh, yeah. And as, especially with the whole, um, the way that the drawing tablets work, they're very specific in the pressure sensitivity and all these other things that are very important to the designer side. And uh, another thing that I was excited about was the overview that was added for 524. I think that is a big game changer mm -hmm. for like the the polish and the overall like flow of how like the user experience. Uh, what was the the basis around adding an overview to KDE Plasma? Before I answer this, I think that there's uh, an important note to have here, which is uh, the overview effect. Actually, it's an effect, it's not an application. And as such, it's living within Queen. So uh, from a technical perspective, it's it's a very interesting development because, uh, well, it allows us to do things that we were not allowed to do before. So, I mean, there's the overview, but we can do other things that are similar to the overview that are just not there yet. Maybe that just like the developer in me speaking, like for a user, it <laughs> really doesn't matter, right? But uh, I think that it this is pretty cool. I wasn't a part of the development of the overview effect myself. Like I, I, uh, I know Vlad and Arian were, were working on it, and they would definitely give you a better answer for that. Uh, as far as I know, this uh, was some input that actually came from from Valve that they wanted to have um, UX that came in this direction, and we started working on oh. it. Um, nice. Then they worked with the visual design group. So I knew it was either Valve or Michael. Suggested. Yeah, I knew, it, I knew it was one of those. I, I, I mean, I might have said it before in the past, but I'm pretty sure Valve has a louder voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, they pay for people, right? Like, yeah, it's exactly. To to convince someone to to work on something, but it was with a visual design group that that they developed it and they implemented it, which, well, now makes sense to have it in in Plasma and to enjoy it. 
I'm very excited about the overview. And another thing I'm excited about, you already kind of mentioned it, was Wayland support. And Wayland has received a lot of attention in this latest release and the past couple of releases in general, but the latest one has a lot of it. But what is, in your opinion, what are the obstacles that are left for Wayland to overcome so that it can be like the official for all desktops and all distros? I mean, we're it's been in the process of development since like 2008 or so. And I know it still has a little bit of a way to go, but do you think that we are relatively close to becoming that the default for everything? I mean, it depends on what you want to do, right? In practice, Wayland is a protocol, right? What is more important in a language, the that the language is very expressive or that you have great literature, like would English be so good without Shakespeare, right? Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Wayland right now is better, like using a Wayland session in Plasma, and I'm sure in GNOME as well, is better than uh, X11 on many kind of cases. Mm -hmm. Maybe not every case that's granted. And then there's a ton of legacy that we have from X11 that we need to figure out. Are there still hurdles with NVIDIA? You mentioned, Michael mentioned, there's been some, of course, advances in that field, but is that still holding back? Is that still an issue? Or if they given enough at this point that everyone can kind of work around the NVIDIA? Well, this way, like, they have given nothing, right? Like, they have just implemented the interfaces that we suggested them to implement for things to work. Now we need to just do a lot of testing and making sure everything works. It would be ideal if their drivers were free software and when something didn't work, we got to fix it. This is not the case today, and it's probably... Well, it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. If it did, that would be great. Uh, but at this point, what we... Well, at this point, we've managed to not have an entirely separate code base, for example, for uh, NVIDIA to to be on, on, on Quinn. So that's uh, already an advantage. We support things. I know that there's uh, some very fairly minimal regressions. Like I think that the panel transparency is not working great just yet. Mm. Um, well, it's very different than needing to have a person who's an expert on this other kind of driver and who can implement everything. Uh, and I am sure that someday we will be able to figure this one out. So one of the great things about Plasma that most people will talk about is the customization capabilities that are there. But this also means there's lots and lots of settings. So I know that in, in talking to some of the team in the past, the team is looking for ways to simplify some of those settings so that people who don't want to do all the customization or don't want to have all the advanced options in front of them right away, they're, they're still an option, but they're maybe it's not right in their face. And kind of wanted to talk about that with you some more. In, in your mind, what's your vision for simplifying some of the settings and options for customization out there for those who want to use Plasma, but maybe you're not into changing every little thing about it. Our big, big answer for that has been the look and feel themes, which I think they're working fairly well. At, at the moment, they're super powerful in that somebody can sit down and put together a, an entirely different experience. And I'm not talking changing wallpapers. I'm talking Plasma Mobile is a different look and feel. Um, we're doing a Plasma Ink for Ink devices now. It's also a look and feel theme, right? This is, is very powerful. Now, I don't think that this is the kind of configuration you were talking about. You were talking about more of the, I have an application with a ton of checkboxes. I think that th there is a um, cultural uh, attitude that we have been adopting. I think that 
Plasma is better today in these terms than it was a few years ago. The fact that, for example, we had to um, well recode all of these um, configuration modules in our switch from C++ into uh, QML has made us actually well, it has forced us to do uh, a lot of, of work that way. Also, since we have the visual design group, they have helped us a lot to, um, well, take these kind of decisions, right? If you're a developer, you're often, like, maybe don't want to think about every little detail. And I guess it's the easy way out to add an option everywhere, which we might have done a bit too much in the past, but not always. And actually, I think that it has been very powerful and it's something that is one of the big reasons to use KDE even today and, and Plasma. Um, the fact that we still allow people to well think different than, well, our visual design group or our development team, it's perfectly fine if people wants to want to add uh, stuff or change configuration settings. One of the powerful things about Plasma is that you have so much control and you have so much uh, modifications you can do. And I do like, I do think there is some transitioning to simplifying stuff like the new homepage when you go into the system settings where it's really quick access to change the most commonly used things. And I also didn't notice this in the beginning, but after a while of using the system settings, I, I noticed that at the bottom section of the home settings, it will change what the quick access stuff is based on the how many times you change something in system settings, which is really nice. Uh, but the next thing that I wanted to ask you about is, the, I think the the most powerful thing that I was I wish Plasma had, if I could change one thing right now, it would be the import and export of settings. Because there are times where I would want, like if, if someone wanted to try out my implementation of Plasma and they wanted to be experienced how I set mine up, it, if there was an import and export tool, that would make it possible to share it. But at the moment, you know, I I change a lot of things, not because it needs changing. I just have like a very, like you said, that some people have a very esoteric custom workflow. And my workflow is very weird. And I know that. No one would but, want to use it anyways, Michael, <laughs> if you could export it. Like it would. I don't think like, that's true. I, I, like think, putting, I think people would just want to experience putting just to your see shoe how on weird your it head is. to wear shoes. Yeah. You're like, I want to experience what Michael's like. Yeah, they, might, the they, they might not continue to use it, but I think they will try it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm curious, Good is there any, any effort in working on an import and export tool for KDE Plasma? So there is this look and feel tool, uh, look and feel explorer, I think it's called, that is meant to do that. I don't know how well it works. We, we have not also been uh, advertising it that much. Maybe you could give it a try, see what works and what doesn't. But a little bit the idea of look and feel is to be able to do that, to uh, set any configuration settings that you need changing and be able to like distribute it a, li a little bit like we do with Plasma Mobile, right? Um, and, uh, and there a little uh, a little bit the idea would be let's not force everyone to make their own little distros just to be able to have people use different default settings, which it definitely has happened and it hasn't helped um, well our ecosystem, right? Yeah. To me, it's more of like a distro mm -hmm. hopping thing, right? If you If you go into a distro and you set it all up the way you want, and then maybe you're hopping to a different distro, which you still want to use KDE uh, Plasma, then not being able to export all those settings, you know, then you got to go and reset up everything. For me, it's easy because I change nothing in anything. Uh, I, whatever the developers do is That's way true. better than I can think of is how I kind of view it. <laughs> so uh, I go with the default, but I know a lot of people like uh, that customization stuff. So yeah, the look and feel thing, Michael, you're gonna have to test it out and let us know. I will yeah, test it out. Yeah, definitely. 
And Eilish, I am definitely looking forward to the progress on, you know, being able to export settings because for one, that's one thing we can say that the Windows users don't have easily. And <laughs> especially with the Steam Deck, deck coming and so many Windows users are going to be using KDE on the Steam Deck. Yeah. And it, it's a very good idea to have, be able to export those settings and, and working on the simplification of the settings for the average user. Yep. Real quick, Ryan, in the in the chat, the live chat room, uh, yeah. for those who don't know, we, we do this show every every week live. And in the <laughs> chat, someone says, I want to be like Mike. So there you go. There is a, 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 an Nobody. audience. That was you or, on another I account. Did, that I, 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 no, clearly, uh, yeah. Nope. Right. If you could skip to the end of 2022 and all the team's goals were met, what would KDE Plasma look like? First of all, we are uh, putting together a sprint, a plasma sprint for uh, next month. I don't think we have a date cool. yet, but if anyone wants to join, feel free to. A little bit the idea there will be to start thinking about uh, the switch to Plasma 6, meaning our switch to Qt 6, which is what the number means in practice. Until then, I am sure that we will be thinking about that. There is uh, certain things that we can do when uh, using Qt 6 that could be fairly useful, namely um, there's better tooling for QML. Maybe we can well improve our um, use of the of the language and ensure that there's no weird regressions. Also, there's uh, certain advantages that we can get from using Falcon as the graphics driver rather than OpenGL. It seems that like, awesome. there's cer certain things we could do that would be. <laughs> Uh, more performant, and we're all about performance as well. So that is something. Besides working on Wayland, making sure that everything works, any kind of regression from your Axelaman experience should be solved by then, hopefully. And if you report bugs, they will get fixed. Uh, so do it, anyone. <laughs> it's very important. That perfectly falls into my next question. And what kind of help does KDE team need right now from the community? You know, bug fixes. And uh, uh, Nate mentioned in the previous episode when we had, we had Nate on the show, he talked about bug triaging and stuff like that. Uh, is there anything specific for the sprint or anything else you'd like to uh, talk about for the community to offer? Well, you may, uh, I guess that Nate already talked about it. But now that you put the idea in my head, I have to say it. <laughs> Bug triaging is important not only because you need to manage a low number of, of bugs so it's manageable, but also because it helps you set priorities, right? Like, it's very different to say it crashes when I press here, here, and here, or here, here, and there. Uh, as a developer, you cannot be like changing focus every day. So if you know that there is somewhere that if you put your effort on, uh, you will be able to take a leap forward, a uh, significant leap forward. It always helps. In terms of help, what I generally do in my presentations about how to help KDE is there's so many ways you can help, right? Like you can do development and it's always welcome. If you wanted to start doing development, I would tell you, well, start looking into like these next steps. Like maybe don't start like solving the problems of today, which is always useful. And if you want to do it, do it. But mm -hmm. you can like say, I'm going to start looking at Qt6 and Plasma 6 and how it's going to work. Uh, we have these KD frameworks. Uh, they have regular meetings about porting to Qt6. They also have like very small tasks that you can take and like in maybe 20, 30 minutes, you can figure out if you're familiar with the tooling. Otherwise, if you have uh, design 
ideas, you can join the visual design team. There's Except translation for, Michael, for... Right? Don't let Michael submit stuff. <laughs> he won't stop. I have contributed in many ways. Thank you very much. Yay. <laughs> I'll put a lot of links in the show notes for anybody who would like to contribute to the KDE Plasma and KDE in general. And we want to thank you, Alice, for joining us and also yeah. for the contributions that you've done over the years. And also to thank the entire KDE team for their tireless efforts because, I mean, I, I when I was using, I was using jumping back and forth between different distros and different desktops for years. And as soon as I tried Plasma and I like really got into like, how much can I, how much options do I have? How much power can I use in Plasma? And as soon as I realized how much there was, I have been using it since, and that's been about eight years now, uh, give or take. And, and I and I can't wait to see you know what's happening with KDE Plasma 5.24. I know I've already I've already played a little bit in Rawhide, but I can't wait to get the actual like full thing. So because I mean every single version release of Plasma is like a birthday gift to me. So you are like I, superheroes to us. I yeah, mean, we exactly. get to play with the cool stuff that you're inventing. So again, thank yeah. you for coming on the show. And talking to us about all the exciting things coming to Plasma. I'm I'm more excited than ever, although I just try to keep Michael tame because he's such a fanboy. But <laughs> I, I love that he's a fanboy. It's kind of impossible to tame me completely, <laughs> yeah. but I'll, I'll try to calm it down a little bit. There you go. There you Aww. go. Well, thank you for joining us. I love all us. the eye candy. It's beautiful. Yeah, you guys are doing amazing work. <laughs> Great. Thanks uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, if you want to talk again someday, feel free. Oh, we'd love to have Absolutely. you on. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to have you back yeah. on the show for sure. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden gives you a bunch of different types of tools. There's a secured vault to store all of your passwords, an auto generator to make the passwords for you, and even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you get access to many different types of devices. So you have a web browser, the mobile application, desktop, application or even on the command line bitwarden allows you to do it all of those and it also seals and encrypts your private data on your devices with an end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your local local encryption because this is awesome because it means you're the only one who has access to your data unless you choose to give you know you because they actually have a way to do sharing because they have family accounts and business accounts so if you do want to set up and help someone set up a family like maybe a family member your your parent or maybe a, a sibling and you want to have a set them up with a password manager they've never used it before you can walk them through that process by getting a family account and then be able to share it and basically guide them through using such an awesome tool that is bitwarden so you can go to bitwarden.com slash dealing to get started and also i think you want to check out their premium account because you can get started for free but you can also get a lot of extra stuff for less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month gives you uh, access to one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitware authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, prior customer service, and so much more. So go to bitwarden.com slash dealing and make the smart move like many of community have and get your account at Bitwarden today. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So this week in the news, there was some really cool stuff that came out. Sometimes, you know, you cover about a new release and we go through that. But I like things that you can get your hands on and projects that you could do with your family or for yourself. And I found one that's being partnered with Red Hat specifically. So Red Hat and SparkFun have created some really cool robot projects that you can do with your family or again, by yourself if you want to, because 
while I may get this for my family, that's an excuse I'll give my wife. I might create it first and then let the kids play with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, you got to yeah. gotta make so sure cool. it's got all the parts and everything. Make sure it's necessary. safe. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. 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 And they're really <laughs> well-priced too. So this is a great gift idea as well for somebody who you know is into Linux. But together they released a robotic hand kit that you can order to understand the fundamentals of robotics that can grip objects. And this is really interesting because of the complexity of mimicking something as perfect as the hand, you know, as far as the ability to pick up something softly, to pick up something, you know, with a hard grip, all of these different elements that we do with our hand that we kind of take for granted. And those, of course, with disabilities and things that uh, are need these mechanisms created for them so that they can re-experience life in those ways. I mean, there's so many cool things about this project that you can get inspired from. And it's using basically cardboard, a servo mechanism, some nylon string, a simple sensor, and then you're going to be able to create your first robotic hand movement through this device. And of course, you could always take this equipment and expand upon it. So maybe it starts as the cardboard uh, device that you've cut to make look like fingers kind of gripping, but you could take your experience that you're learning from that and apply it with something maybe more fundamental from that point using some Legos or plastics or other things uh, from there as well. But it's only $49.95 to get involved with this. Now, it's the amazing. Really funny thing about this story is that when I, when I found this and I put it in the show and we had our pre-show earlier in the week, and when I, when I was doing, when I was writing this, the first thing I thought about was Jill. I said, Jill's going to have an amazing story here <laughs> related to robotics because it's Jill. <laughs> now, I could talk about the Jetson Nano AI Spark Fun kit I did, or I did Woo. a video on Imbot, which is really cool. But I was thinking, okay, I'll cover that real quick and get to Jill. But when we asked Jill, Michael, <laughs> what cool robotics store, she goes, I don't have anything. Yeah, yeah, we're shocked. We were yeah, like, like, "No, come on, Jill. there's like, no way you don't have anything, right? You've got to have something." And she goes, "Well, I was a part of the robot wars in the '90s," and I'm like, "Come <laughs> on, Jill, that's the coolest thing ever." So, yeah, Jill, I want to turn so... it over to you now and talk about okay. robotics because robot wars. While it's not the hand gesture, it's robotics. It's amazing. So tell us. And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, everyone out there, if some of my favorite shows to watch in the late 90s and early 2000s were The Robot Wars, BattleBots, and Robotica. Well, what's really awesome is some of my husband, my husband, Steve's coworkers, were actually responsible for starting the BattleBot phenomenon back in the 1980s in what was originally called the Terminator Contest. That and it began nice. actually with tether-controlled vehicles, sporting road flares, woo, and a frightening amount of lighter fluid. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, they were doing things that you couldn't do later in the robot wars because of safety reasons, like flying robots. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, and two of my favorite robots were called the Dome of Doom, and of course, my husband's Porcupine of Doom. Nice. <laughs> nice. What did fact, the Porcupine he... of Doom do? Did it just have needles that shoot out everywhere, or what? Yeah, it it had um uh this way to to uh, catch the robots. And then it would cover them in the needles so it couldn't escape. Oh, that is <laughs> nice. brutal. Nice. Yeah. I love it. And awesome. what was really cool is recently, uh, not too long ago, we found it in our shed in the backyard. Awesome. <laughs> so, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. So what was really neat is 
you know, the creators and all their vehicles actually were featured on the show Late Night with David Letterman in two segments called Dangerous Toys, which you can find on YouTube. <laughs> so these were the guys that, you know, create, came up with the idea of these shows and later went on to produce some of the shows. So. It, it was funny watching David Letterman react because you sent us those clips after we had talked uh, react <laughs> yeah. to, to blimps setting each other on fire and robots attacking. But ro <laughs> Robot Wars or BattleBots is just awesome. Like I yeah. love watching these people create these amazing robotics that just to destroy them, <laughs> just yeah. to destroy them. <laughs> but crazy. think about the engineering feat of it and and what people come up with that can be applied in other technologies uh, later on. I mean, these are individuals, while they're having fun with this, are also learning very valuable robotics uh, information that they can apply elsewhere in other fields. So that's why I, I think everybody really loved that show back then. And I think it's so cool that you have you know, family <laughs> members that are part of it. And did you ever drive any of the vehicles or do any battle botting yourself, Jill? Um, no, but I, I did help with some ideas with Dome of Doom. <laughs> Could you imagine Jill coming up with good Doom ideas? Yeah. She, I, I think right. Jill would be like, a robot that hugs the other robot and, yeah. and tells it nice things. Well, one of the cool th features about Dome of Doom is it also would have water that would ca cascade over the dome. So it was hard to catch on fire. So that was that's one of the reasons smart. it did well. That's Yeah, that's really good. I mean, it, there's, it was funny because there was like when those when those shows came out and there was all these different. Uh, when I first saw these shows, I was so like completely enthralled. Like we, there's a sport, there's a sport of robots that you create for the purpose of destroy other robots. Yes, awesome. <laughs> I can't wait. And I watched everything. And when rope like so, I didn't know this that Robot Wars predates um, BattleBots. So I yes. first saw BattleBots, and then I saw Robot Wars, and I was like, oh, okay. it's like another another one. And then I started watching that one more because they had like way, way crazier stuff. <laughs> yeah, they had flamethrowers and stuff like that, and like buzz saws and chop saws and all sorts of stuff. And they also had like these, I forgot what they called them, but they had like these corner bots that were like the super powerful bots to like, if, if one, if uh, one of the bots, the contenders like kind of gave up and couldn't move anymore, these things would come in and just like get rid of them and knock yeah. them out completely. And uh, those were awesome. And I remember one of them was like the Matilda bot. I don't know oh, why yeah, I remember yeah, that Matilda. one, but it was, it's such a, it was such a cool thing. And, <laughs> uh, I did. I started. It did get me interested in robots and stuff like that. Uh, so, so cool. but I, I technically had not worked on making any. I watched iRobot though, so I did. Sort, <laughs> it's close. Good, good job, Michael. See, right. my story wasn't exciting as Jill's. <laughs> That's a but, good sci-fi. <laughs> you know, at least mine's more than a movie. I'm certified with the Jetson Nano AI bot, which is kind of cool. So you know. <laughs> I wonder if the three of us, if we ever yeah. get together, we could, with the community, host like a BattleBots tournament. Yes. Oh, you know? that would be absolutely true. And I'll bring my hus husband and all his friends. And, <laughs> and, 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 no, 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 no. He he works on our team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Our yes. team. So it's the community <laughs> versus us, and we have Jill's husband on our team. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yes. There's the robot wars on our team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they also have another kit out there, Red Hat and Spark Fun, a light sensing kit. So if you want to check out with nice. that. So this is very much, if you have kids that are growing up, you want to get them into kind of some STEM, like educational things, great. Even if you want to do it for yourself, this is a great way to get started. Also, like I said, you could check out things like the Jetson Nano AI. 
which you can get certified in through NVIDIA if you get, pick up one of those. And so then you could apply all those technologies together if you want robotics and AI uh, and do some really cool things there. But Robot Wars, it took me back. My favorite part about this whole new <laughs> thing is Jill, like, I don't have it. I've never done anything yeah. except, except Robot yeah. Wars. Like, come on. <laughs> And we were talking to her and she said no. And I was like, that's the first time I've ever heard Jill say no, I don't have experience. Yeah. And then and then all of a sudden, like, well, robot work. What? <laughs> like, yeah. That's like the best you could Our possibly radars have. radars went off. Like, tell us more. So, like, yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's, that's not only experience, that's awesomeness. <laughs> well, Jill, take us into the gaming section. We can't build robot wars yet, but what are some things we can do in the gaming world in Linux? Well, in this game, you can't really fight robots, but you can fight mages. Good enough. So if you're looking for a fun computer role-playing game that has a unique mechanic and you can enjoy playing in short bursts or spend the all day with, then Tower of Time is at the game absolutely for you. <laughs> On Steam, the game describes itself like this. A new kind of RPG that awaits you. A story-rich dungeon crawler with innovative real-time combat that lets you pause or slow down time. Tactical thinking is essential to succeed. And it now has RPG light and permadeath for a much more fast-paced game. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Definitely. I, I, I'd be dead at the intro. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just reading Same. the story and my character dies. Yeah. Well, what's what I was uh, really fi finding fascinating is this is the only... RPG I've ran across that has this time mechanic. It's called the Arrow Time Combat no, from System. From Matrix, it's called Bullet Time. Come on. Yes, it's called Bullet. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> so the cool thing also is the Arrow Time Combat System. You know, makes each battle because you have to strategize so much. It it makes it like a tactical puzzle. So if mm -hmm. you're into puzzle games. This is a fun RPG to play, and I love puzzle games. Those are actually my favorite games in the world, or puzzle games like Portal. <laughs> Portal's awesome. Yeah. And it actually has uh, really beautiful graphics and a really nice atmosphere, both visually and musically. I really love the soundtrack, and it really gets you involved in the mechanics of the game and the characters. It has over 50 hours of gameplay, and it's Priced at twenty four ninety nine on Steam and well worth it. It's really a fun role-playing game. This is another game that I put in my bucket for favoriting or wish list or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. for the moment I have the Steam Deck. Like to me, this oh, is a perfect, perfect Steam yeah. Deck game where you, you take this with you portably on, at an airport or somewhere else and play an RPG and have a ton of fun with it. Um, so yeah, this is going in my wish list for the Steam Deck when we get that, which is coming out now in yes. the, the end of this uh, month. February 25th well, is okay. when we get our emails. That's when they start the process of start shipping them to people. If you go into your account and check to see when you're in the list, it will still say forever away. Um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't actually say that, obviously, but yeah. mine says end of quarter two, which means sometime in the summer, I guess. So oh. um uh, it's annoying because we were like, as soon as it was on, it was on re release. We're like, okay, we're gonna get it. Buy it now. Yeah. Buy it now. And then the site was crashed we because so many people had the same idea. Yeah. So we, it took us, I think, an hour and a half or something like that to finally get it, and that put us back like months in it the queue. It took me longer. It took me like <laughs> four hours to get in. Well, you, it. you know what's funny is I was the last to get in because here in in Los Angeles it went down so bad. <laughs> the mm. servers but uh i was one of the last to get in but it's still saying q1 on mine and i that may not be true but who knows 
I also get the the higher end version. I think there's a lower, de- there's a longer delay for I that. Got, oh like, yeah, the there one. is. Yeah, it could be that. Yeah, I got the middle one. We'll, yeah, I, we'll, I had we'll heard... have ours first, and yeah. then we can you like, show will. it to Michael, and we can rub it in. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. You can pout all you want, but you need to go back on your stool if you're going to pout. <laughs> okay, we'll do. All right, so for our software spotlight, I, I had to think of something that fit the Robot Wars theme, I felt like, because that was just yes. such a fun story. So I found Slay. Does anyone ever use Slay? If you're sysadmin, you may have used something like Kill and P-Kill, but there's I also... Mean, I've used a- Kill-9. You know, kill In fact, when I run Kill-9, then your process is mine. Because I run kill dash nine because it's my time to shine. So don't step out of line or it's kill dash nine. Did you just rap <laughs> a little bit? Wow, that's pretty good, man. <laughs> did you make that up? I did not. That's from uh, <laughs> a nerdcore rapper named Monzi. Yeah, Monzi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if I anyone wants to actually and- listen to the real one, I'll have a link There's in the music show notes. called Nerdcore. Yeah. Dude. Oh yeah, I've seen them in uh, <laughs> live at yeah. scale. <laughs> there's also MC++ and a bunch yeah. of other stuff. <laughs> All right. I, I, there's a whole new world I have yet to explore, so I'm going to click that <laughs> link uh, when we find that. But Slay, uh, back to the spotlight, uh, is a very powerful tool that will kill all processes associated with a specific user. So let's say you're a sysadmin you see somebody doing something malicious, or maybe they were just uh, they're leaving the company, going somewhere else. You need to kill all the processes they were involved in. You could simply type Slay in their username, and that's it. They're toast. Like a robot wars, porcupine gets a hold of you. You're done. You're toast with Slay. That's all you have to do. You can also use the dash clean method to have it send a term signal first and give 10 seconds for all the processes to end, because otherwise it's just going to kill them immediately. I tried this on myself just to do it on my username while I was logged in. And boom, man, it killed everything. And I was back to the login (laughs) screen there. I think this is a really old tool. I don't think it's, uh, I mean, I couldn't even get it on SUSE. I could get it on Fedora and Debian Mm. and other things, but it wasn't available in OpenSUSE there to play with. But it's just such a powerful, fun thing to play with. So I I don't know if sysadmins would use it over kill and pkill, but I like the idea of it and I love the name of it. And it also has a butthead mode. So yeah, what, <laughs> this is awesome. It literally does. It has a butthead mode. Yeah, it says it starts. You turn in the butthead mode, and it start. It says it gives you different messages. It allows you to slay dragons or slay Michael AI that you don't want on your system. Every no, week. no, no. Everybody wants That's that on the system. Great way you could kill Michael AI. <laughs> no, no, it's no. too intelligent. No, yeah. you wouldn't want to do that because it, it, the Michael AI will kill Dash Nine. As we yeah. are discussed. Uh, I guess that's true. <laughs> I got some coding to do with the Michael AI bot. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, tell us about the tip of the week. Last week, we talked about how to clear your terminal. But what if you clear your screen and then you realize you needed to run a command you haven't memorized? You simply type history, and this will give you a list of commands you've run previously in the terminal. And also, you don't need to use the terminal to use Linux, of course. Here on Destination Linux, we believe that Linux should be available for anyone, regardless of skill level. But if you want to become a guru of sudo, then we hopefully these tips will and tricks will help you in your quest. And also, just a real quick, if you go into the file manager and hit Control H, then it will show you your dot files or your hidden files. And from here, you can check out the dot uh, mm-hmm. bash underscore history file. And there you can check out the actual w- location of where the content from the history command comes from. And you can make copies of it and store it for later usage or something like that. So that is your tip of the week. Nice. And as far as announcements this week, the 
Linux Out Loud logo contest finals are up right now, like literally right before we started recording the picks that they have out there for the community to vote on. So first of all, thank you so much to the community. We had tons of submissions out there. They were able to narrow it down to just a few. And you can go out to that link on our discourse forums and vote for which one you want to be the official logo for Linux Out Loud. And for those who are just tuning in, that was formerly DLN Extend. And they have just taken that show to a whole new level. So it just needs to be renamed. Same cast, same awesome people. You got Wendy, Matt, and Nate there. Um, but they're going to have a new show and logo. And they're going to call it Linux Out Loud there. All right. So that's it. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And we are here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, dlnlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. And we can't wait to see you in the chat. We also have our glorious patrons, which get perks like unedited versions of the show and get to mm -hmm. hang out with us in the patron after show where they also get to hang out with our guests that hang out there as well in the after show, which is pretty cool. And also go to dealinstore.com right now to check out some swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, uh, stickers, all sorts of stuff. Hats. <laughs> we got so much cool stuff. Coasters even as Jill is showing some, some of these things that we Look have. Look how fresh this shirt is. Look how fresh. Right? It's so fresh. So fresh so and fresh. so clean, clean. In fact, yeah. And, and so go to dealinstore.com to check out all the awesome merch. And we have a new vendor. That's why Ryan was talking about how so fresh and clean, clean it is, is that mm -hmm. we have a new vendor and they have much higher quality than their previous vendors. So if you want to check out the newest quality, you can check out it at dealinstore.com. And as always, make sure to check out our wonderful shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and put your cowboy hats on and join our Saturday Linux user group, Linux Saloon. So everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm. See you next week. Woohoo! We did it! Yay! <laughs>